You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. We are live, headed down the road. Land and Legacy Podcast. I say it every week. I don't know why we have to say it every week. Do you know, Matt? No, but I think I think it just reassures that they didn't hit the wrong button when they were going down the road and turn on some other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um So it's been a interesting week for us. Um we're gonna kinda hit you with a this would be like a a Monday morning shotgun blast brain dump. Um, That's right. This podcast because we've got several different things to cover, and we're not really sure we're headed in headed in one direction because um, we've got several things we want to cover, and I'm not sure we can devote it to an entire podcast. Um, I'm currently but, headed down the road. Matt is home. Uh, yep. You just got back from a consult, right? Yep, yep. Uh, spent a couple days with uh, Frank. And, and I down in uh, western Georgia. So that was a cool trip um, that we're going to talk about. And although it may not seem like there's like one defined point in this, I think some, sometimes these podcasts, honestly, they get the they get us free-flowing enough that some of the best stuff comes out of yeah. these podcasts. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just ready to, ready to chat and get into it. It's, it's funny because it's such a highly debated i think time of the year for a lot of people many seasons oh wait opened up. what is today's date that that what is today to, will be the 10th today's the 10th and so this nope. will record yeah yeah this is going to record you know what it is matt it's the october lull we didn't even realize I mean, it i saw it on the calendar <laughs> so you know i just you know it, it just the deer reacted the same way because of that calendar oh yeah you know what 
I had a deer actually run when, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I was doing this afternoon on the tractor, but I was down there and I had a deer coming down early, but it like turned around and ran back. And I'm wondering if it wasn't almost got the food plot. It's like, wait, wait a second. What is today? Oh, it's October lull. I got to wait two hours before I come out. <laughs> wait, it's not quite dark enough yet for me to come out. Yeah. I need to rethink this. Yeah, yeah. And that reminds me of one other thing I want to talk about on this podcast. Remind me to tell you and the listeners about the uh, the Savannah Restoration Hillside that we reference in a lot oh, of photos. Sweet. Yeah, 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 man. Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. I, I, I was just gonna say, you had you you were coming back from uh, from your guys' farm right now and kind of noticing quite a few things, and and I know there's a couple points that really give good mid season, early season management tips, because for, for those who have been successful in harvesting deer already in a one buck state, or you're just trying not to pressure a place. Um, there's a lot of activities <clears throat> and a lot of uh, practices that can still be done this type of year, habitat management wise, that really can catapult you into future growing seasons 100 and so yep. you were going to talk about a couple of those yeah and i think that would be certainly valuable to kick it off because we've had um and i know i know of already from from clients who've sent in photos um 270 inch plus deer get killed and um they're they're kind of steady rolling in so it, what, it's, what did you say there's been two 170 inch Okay, that's not what I heard. I've heard a 270 inch deer. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did not consult behind mind. a fence. Forgot, where where did this happen? Yeah. I forgot to tell you about that one. <laughs> <laughs> New world record. I yeah. don't even know what a world record is. I don't really keep up with that stuff. But, um, no, but yeah. Just. We've had some really nice deer killed uh, by clients. Yeah. I know a, a really good one in Illinois. Uh, you know, uh, I guess a really good one in Ohio. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's um, right. Another really it, good one, Oklahoma. Uh, they're, they're, they're steady rolling in. A, one out of Maryland, and it's fun yeah. to get pictures sent in of, hey, I'm chasing this. What do you think um, <sighs> about this setup, this and that? And, and, um, and it, even though you, you, you your days have been limited, I think you've hunted like two days. Three. I've hunted three total three, so far. Yep. Three total. I think I've mm-hmm. sat in my backyard once, and then once at the lease and filmed several times. Um, so all, it's it's fun to be able to have this kind of communication back and forth with other people, and you're kind of that that cheerleader riding riding uh, along beside them from thousands of miles away, but you know that they're out there doing uh, putting put their best foot forward on on some really really incredible deer. So I'm just kind of steady waiting for the text to roll through. Yeah, uh, October and late October, November is really kind of like, I mean, that's when a lot of really nice deer get killed. And I I know that's when a lot of our clients really see the benefit of the bedding cuts and the timber management done. I was going to read you a uh, a text. Hold on, let me me pull over on the side of the road so I can open up my um, phone here. Uh, Okay, so this is what he says. It's raining acorns, and I was saying that sarcastically, by the way. Um, I'm doing this quickly. It's raining acorns. It's funny. It's raining acorns, lush green clover in the plot, and the does hug the edge eating natural brows where I edge feathered. 
And uh, <laughs> I said, if there was ever a, uh, a what-the-heck moment, that's it. Um, you do all that stuff, and they still, still eat woody brows and uh, different kind of herbaceous plants in an area that you that you cut. Um, there's there's never not a time of the year that they won't consume it. Yeah, uh, and yep. and it's what's readily available. And, and I had actually Chainsaw Chad was over several days ago, uh, maybe even a week or two ago now. But um, I had cut a couple of trees in my backyard. I would say middle of Sep- no middle of July. And I had pokeberry, I had blackberry, I had um, mayor's tail, and a several other just things that you would expect, pokeweed, popping and coming back. And, I mean, this is on the edge of the yard. A couple elm sprouts, and they, every single thing was getting hammered on the edge of the yard. And I said, you know, this is a great representation. I cut one, two trees completely cleared out. It was bare dirt because they were cedars. And pulled them out. They're gone. I said, but but just prior to me cutting these trees, I'd gone in and cut the bedding thicket. And I said, so that's an acre and a half of this same type of browse available and, and that much more quantity of it. So yeah. I said, just imagine how much more food and cover is in those areas and how much deer activity is coming out of that. And the, the cuttybacks and then a couple sits and just observing from the office window I mean, yeah. they're dumping right out of it just kind of like you, you always dreamed and dreamed up but it, 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 that's, it, the the point is natural browse is applicable it's always in play yeah um so it's always yeah, there done i mean other than well, a little work it should, it's, it should it, yeah. always be there <laughs> well it is on our farm um yeah, that's right. that's it's always right. there and it, it's not paid for every year you just it's there Right. That's why I, I laugh when people make the argument like, well, it takes a lot of acres of this to equate to comparing to food plots. It's like there's a lot of waste wasted trees out there. They're just you could just drop them and you know it's once and done. But you know what? That food plot has to be planted and maintained every single year. This doesn't. So your analogy doesn't. It's a yeah. sprint versus a marathon. You may shoot out of the gate and be like way ahead, but long term. It probably doesn't equate to the to the same amount of benefit as timber management, and in fact, well, it's not. Absolutely, I say it probably it, it won't. Um, it won't. Yeah. So won't. yeah, um, you know, for for me, it was an interesting. It was a nice. I mean, we got a lot done. I, uh, Chad and I were hammering away on different things, and you know, the, the farming for me or the the farm has shifted in, since February pretty drastically. You know, you used to go to the farm when it was a lease. You would do some things, a lot more time devoted to trail cameras and food plots and looking around and messing with stands. And now that <laughs> now that there's a farm payment associated with it, it's like, okay, we got to get these cows rocking. We got to get things ready. Oh, we got to, we're running out of grass. Okay, that pasture's running out of grass. We need more grass. And you're like, oh, yeah, the, 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 the foot is on the pedal of, okay, we need to make sure our pastures are very productive before mm-hmm. we start kind of going, okay, let's go back to playing in the woods because, man, these cows pay for the farm. So yeah, there's, these there's cows. There's no woods to play in. <laughs> there's no woods to play in if the cows don't have something to eat. <laughs> exactly. And, so, and, I, and that's where I want to – 
emphasize that like we've had some I've had some great messages and emails come in with the with the podcast devoted to the cows and how we're incorporating them into the into the farm because I think it's very relatable for a lot of guys and because I know a lot of people that hunt on cattle farms or they own farms and they're also trying to look for ways to pay for the farms so we I mean we have a pretty good list of different ways that guys are uh, utilizing various th- forms of income production uh, yes. all from Christmas tree farms to cows um, to crops to hay to, uh, different things um, mm-hmm. and I would love to incorporate all Pine of those straw. minus uh, yeah pine straw uh, I'd love to incorporate minus pine straw and uh, minus crops because that would be a little difficult down in our country but all that sort of stuff to 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 try to have a better understanding and, and help landowners even more. And so for us, you know, I spent a good amount of the day today drilling in cool season grasses. And I think people would just be like, what? I mean, you what? Did. Don't what? wreck the truck because I promise you there's a reason for it. And I will explain what Cardinal we're doing. Sin. I mean, I drove through soybeans, standing soybeans that have, you know, loaded with pods, took the drill right through them and crunched 40, 40% of them. Now they're naughty, still laying naughty. on the ground. And I mean, I'm just sitting there like on the tractor, like looking at this going, what would I, five years ago, what would I say to myself? But the big picture is the more well, income I can produce on the farm, the more land I can potentially buy and improve whether it be well, through leases, but, through more more land purchase, whatever it may be. I'm trying to be as productive as possible without sacrificing the wildlife acres. So, you know, and you can, which one, which one's more productive, monoculture or diversity? Well, I'm going diversity, even though it's a pasture versus uh, essentially a big soybean field to try to control the invasive Cerisa lespediza that was there. So... Well, I think first and foremost, this is this is the big reason for discussing that and bring it into the fold. Without having the clear goals and objectives that honestly we discussed last week on on the podcast of how how we or basically what your mindset is on on the priority list of how you're attacking this farm, without that being addressed first and without having first and foremost the cattle being number one to be able to make payments and you know pay for the farm you if you didn't have that in line you wouldn't be doing this nope so so at some point and this is not speaking to everyone but no matter no matter where you're at you have to make tough decisions sometimes as to where importance wise and best use for each acre comes into play. Every everyone should fall into that category. Whether you have cattle, whether you have crops, whether you have other sources of income that you need to pay for the property, whether you're straight recreational or not, if your if your brain is not revolving around best use, best management for each acre, then then just quite frankly, your property is probably underutilized. Yeah. If, and, I mean, and how many guys listen? Deliberate. How many guys listen to our podcast that that probably want to own land or want to own more land? But that's a tough sell to the wife. That's a tough sell to the 
to your dad or your business partner, your brother, like what I'm in. But it's not as tough of a sale if you find a way to make it pay for itself. And well, it's also a tax a tax benefit. And so for us, you know, the cattle is essentially the way it pays for itself. So, you know, we have X amount of dollars in a down or in a in an annual payment for the farm since it's a cattle farm, but I mean it's an expansion of the family farm, but X amount of dollars required and we can hopefully when it sets up correctly, which maybe even in the in the very near future, there's enough cattle to where every year there's cow sales that that exceed that X amount of dollars required in that annual income. So that's really what we're going for. And so if we can do that, then, you know, any additional income that we bring in from other things that are going to get really creative in the future is just like, okay, we can either put this into our, in our, in our pocket or we can utilize this in, a, in another form of going, okay, let's nest egg this until we find the next neighbor that lets us buy a chunk and you can you can build up from there and that's that's essentially what our goal is right so but you can't do that with with like unimproved acres and not having no. clear goals objectives for how you want to accomplish things and and i said this on the podcast before we've discussed it but i when when someone's asking and talking about potentially hiring us I have asked the question in the past. I don't do it often, but but it it's kind of the where the rubber meets the road. Let's say, what's more important, owning five to ten more acres, or knowing how to improve and maximize your existing 150, 400 thousand acres? Yeah, whatever the whatever it is. What's more important, owning a little bit more ground, or knowing exactly what to do with what it is you have, then yep. at that point, once it's maximized, then you expand and you move on. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I mean, it, it, there, there's so many places, properties out there where some good ideas and good practices are being implemented, but it's not an equal share distribution across the whole farm. So it's not maxed out. No, and, um, I mean, still that Matt, way. give me an estimate. How many farms do we visit where you're like, you know what, you're really, and you know, it's very hard to say every acre is being managed and improved because yeah, yeah. almost every farm, but you know, let's just say 75% or more of the total acreage is actually being improved and headed in the right direction. Cause if you're not improving, you're degrading. And so how many farms do we visit where it's like, 75% or more of the property is actually, like, getting managed before we get there, like, it, as is. No, very, very, very few. few or, no, it's like it, less than 15% it, it, that come to mind for me. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know. Uh, that, there, that's not to say that's, a, that's, like, a bad thing. That's why we're there. We're there yeah. to help improve it. But, but at the same point, um, there's, there's, there's always – you know, something that can be done, something that can be manipulated. And the only way you find that out is if you have the clear goals. And if you're thinking about each individual acre, not the total acreage that you have, because a really good, highly managed 40 is way more valuable in the, in the eyes of wildlife and in the eyes of a good, well-trained hunter and manager than the neighboring 120. 
And no that, that 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 doesn't matter what region you're in whatsoever. A 40 can be can trump a 160. Yeah. It, it just does not matter what the acreage size doesn't matter. It's what's on the that acreage. Yeah. So, you know, so well, for me, you know, when you when you think about cattle, uh, you automatically get this like, what well, can't have deer? That's gonna or or it's really gonna affect the deer. It's not gonna be as good. And you know, we live by the natural disturbance, native disturbance. Try to replicate nature and those natural disturbances. And so grazing is a big part of that. And then of course we're trying to make money or pay for the farm. So cattle are a huge part of that. But generally, you find there's like that that line where it's like that side. And, and it's a fence line. That side is better for wildlife, and this side is pretty desolate. It's not that great. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where we're trying to blend the two and make that, that fence line a lot easier for the deer to cross. A lot harder for the cows to cross, but a lot easier for the deer to yeah. cross. And, and yeah. you get that through diversifying. And so, like, we're drilling in, you know, we can walk you through in the future as we do this even more uh, personally on our own farms and really start getting more more uh, under the magnifying glass of improving the cattle uh, acres for wildlife, which, you know, that's not really talked about a lot. But there's acres that are devoted strictly to cows, but we're also trying to make them wildlife friendly. And so we've been, like we've said, severely dry here in sept- uh, August and September. And uh, we're getting to October now. And and it's pretty good. We're starting to get some moisture, starting to get some rain, starting to get uh, have heavy, heavy dews in the mornings. And so we are drilling in our cool season grasses. So we're mixing in uh, three different types, uh, probably even more grasses, uh, maybe even some warm seasons that we'll drill later in the winter. But we drilled in three types today. And then we're going to include some um, broadleaves and legumes, frost seeding. Typically, you you would even do that at the same time. We would just mix it all together and drill it in September. But it was so dry that we bumped it back and only did the grasses. Um, so we'll return in February or March, and we're going to add alfalfa, red clover, white clover, chicory. And, uh, and then we may even add a couple of uh, warm-season grasses just to try to uh, diversify even more. So think about it from the standpoint of, like, what is there for the wildlife? Well, Basically, the revival blend is in a pasture. Now, it's not as thick and lush and beautiful, but it's the cows can utilize it, the deer can utilize it, turkeys can utilize it, a lot of bugs can utilize it. Of course, with the cows in there, there's going to be more insects active. So it's just a diversified pasture, and that's that was what I was doing today while looking across the fence line where there's not going to be any cows and seeing grasses that I was actually drilling in on this side of the fence going, I'm going to kill that. We're going to spray that and kill it. Yep. And there's a clear line, and that's the fence line. You're on this side where the cows can can uh, utilize it. We love you. You go on that side, I hate you. You got to go. And that's really and- how our farm is, where it's like it's a love-hate. And you, you, you're accepted with open arms because we can utilize you from grazing, but you get on that side – and we're going to kill you or bring you back into the into where you need to be. And so the fall well, time and, is and a beautiful time to, for some old field management. And and it should be what a lot of us are getting prepped for. We should be yeah. cleaning sprayers, checking sprayers, getting those utilized or getting those ready to rock because this is one of the best times to spray your old field management areas. 
and your your dead zone areas, your roadways, the edges of your roadways. Everywhere you have cool season grass that's not being utilized by cattle, and that's not being utilized for erosion control on your on your uh, roadbed. Yeah. Anywhere else, our advice would be get it gone. There's something that can be more productive, more more beneficial to wildlife. And and here's here's just the the truth of the matter when it comes to spraying and doing habitat work throughout the the hunting season. Last night I ran a chainsaw till dark yeah. on on the property, prepping a uh, pollinator planting and trying to clear more trees, get more sunlight, um, clearing up some some of the, the woody vegetation in that stand so that I can come back and spray easier uh, for a second round of. Of, of herbicide and, and the future prepping to make sure that fescue is totally gone, totally eradicated. Cause with this new moisture that you just talked about, we're starting to see some more things pop that we want to make sure we target and get out and have a clean preparation. Yep. But it, it, it doesn't stop. That kind of disturbance is, is not necessarily a negative in the whole hunting side of things. We do not stop and we suggest do not stop because you're going to miss windows like the one you just talked about, which is the you can get so far ahead in the next growing season yeah. that we're looking at in 2022 by addressing cool season grasses I, now. Think and about it like only, this. If you can, thing, you can spray this fall, that means it's going to die and be just continuing to break down during the winter. So next February you can burn it rather than having yeah. to wait till it greens up in March, spray it, and then try to burn it and spitter, sputter your way through some patchy areas where you didn't get a good kill when you could just kill it and then go, oh, you know what? We missed a few spots and kill it again, spray that area in, in early November. Hopefully by that time you kill it. And then you're like, that's behind me. And I'm already steps ahead, months ahead, yeah. and, and I can focus on fire lines in January, February, March and, and, and burning. Rather than going, oh, I got to do old field management too. The, o- the only, only downside, and it's not that much of a downside. It's not one that that stops you because I'm in this exact same boat. But if you have, you know, a, a, an older portion of a field that's got a lot of um, annuals in it from the summer that are growing and they're vertical still, so so they're upright, you might not get a perfect clean herbicide ap- application from the water, the, the, excuse me, the, the solution droplets hitting everything just perfect. Yeah. But, but when, we're not looking for a hundred percent perfection in all of this, because like you just said, you can go back and readdress anything that you missed. So it's not like you're going into, uh, some of you may be, but, but, but if you're not going into the perfectly managed pasture and you have some stuff, um, that that is upright, standing taller, and you're not going to get a perfect application, still go in and spray. I, I think I've got a three-acre section on Elam Ridge that is dying to, to, to get sprayed out. I mean, it, every time I drive past it, I'm just sitting counting down the days for, for this middle October, late October window, and guess what? It is 30 yards off the edge of one of the bedding thickets. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm still going in there in, in mid to late October to spray it because I know the value in the next couple of years is higher than a stinking four wheeler 
going through spraying out some cool season grasses. No doubt. Don't miss the opportunities that are right here in front of you. Yeah. And for you guys that are dealing with cheat grass, um, you know, I think Oklahoma and Kansas, <clears throat> parts of Missouri, I have cheat grass all over my farm uh, in places. And so this is a great time. Learn how to identify cheat grass at a young stage. It's going to be a very fine looking hair. Um, almost, you know, like very young tender could easily be confused for, you know, like wheat or cereal rye where you're like, did I plant that over there? But it's, it's very thick. I think of those, like, what are those little toys or like little things when you were a kid, it was like a clay fixture, but then you had the little seed side. Oh, it's a chia pet. Yeah. Chia pet where it's like, okay, that's what I thought. I couldn't, I was trying, I was getting it confused with those, uh, those little pets that were like like a little uh almost like a little game boy kind of electronic screen where you fed the the animal i i, I thought i thought that might have been a chia pet but chia pets and you it's yeah. just like green underneath the trees underneath like and the fence rows and you're like boy that looks really nice i wonder why the deer don't eat it well cuz it's cheat grass and cows don't eat it either um, and, and or hardly at all, unless they're really hungry and it's food is limited. And so identify yeah. that and spray it just as, as quickly so you can have more forbs come back. And so just learning the plants that are on your property, especially if you're an old cattle farm, uh, you, you bought an old cattle farm and, you know, it, you're trying to learn what's there. There's a chance you have these cool season grasses. There's a chance you have cheat grass. So learn what you have. If it's bad, get rid of it. Wait till the frost and hammer time. Yes, yes. You you, you do need to be able to accurately identify these things. And, and maybe in the off season, maybe the time spent in the tree stand. Let's face it, most people are on the phones. Be looking up plants be looking like researching the stuff so that you can make these educated decisions and there's nothing more more frustrating than than knowing that you're maybe inadequate with with knowledge of some sort and you know that you could be advancing your farm along the way learning to identify species is not crazy hard if, no. if you get 15 grasses 15 forbs 15 trees 15 shrubs that are commonly found in your region, you're going to do really well. And and that's not hard to be able to do that. 60 plants. And so do your best on trying to identify these um, plants that we're talking about so that you can take advantage of these windows that literally will leapfrog you into growing seasons and and get you ahead of everybody else around around you. Your neighborhood's important. This is a whole other t- podcast topic, and I've, and I've had this discussion with some uh, people here recently. It's kind of like been this reoccurring thing. So it's one of those I, I need to let it soak more, but um, we need to do a podcast about the value of buying into a neighborhood that has big deer or buying into an area have this famed history and creating what it is you need to. Yeah. Well, I Pros know what, and cons. I, I, and I know what neighborhood I'm in. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, no. um, 
on on another. Are are you kind of wrapping up that that farm thought? I mean, yeah, you know, that's that's to me exactly where you know, oh gosh, I'm planting the very grasses that I'm preaching to kill so often. But that's the difference in, you know, the famous answer with any kind of question when it comes to land management. Well, it depends. Do you hate yes. orchard grass? Ah, it depends in what context. Um, because right now I'm like, yeah, I love it. We're, we're going to have some cows. I mean, another big part, what I was thinking of when you mentioned that, Matt, and real quick, is talking about learning the plants. I feel pretty adequate in 90% of the plants and things that are going on on my farm that I, I know good, bad, indifferent, wherever it stands. Um, you know, we had we yep. bought bought the cows, and there was a couple. It was a disaster in Utah for a drought this year, and the guy that I bought the cows from was like, i got to get rid of these things or we're really going to be in trouble out here with this drought. Um, so I bought the cows, and he's like, I don't know really, you know, how many of them got pregnant because – you know, I don't know what's going on out here. And so we bought them with the anticipation to, to throw the bulls in with them quickly and breed them and, and have cows in the in the spring. And um, uh, he said, "There's I know there's one for sure that's going to have a calf. Well, I don't know if that's the one, but we had a calf tonight. And, you know, I felt like eh, I should have paid more attention. A- anytime I'm working with these cows and trying to do things – I wish I'd have paid more attention in college because I slept my way through a lot through my degree because I had a good enough understanding of all of it to pass. And mm-hmm. but now it's like, oh, I really wish we'd have talked about that or we'd have covered that in college. I don't think we covered a lot of the stuff that I'm dealing with. But like that that calf, I saw it out there and it was like, oh man. Now the real this is when the stuff's getting real. We got to take that calf and turn it into a 5 to 700 pound steer and and make money on it. And right. this is a world that I'm not real. I mean, I will. I'm pouring into it. A lot of my late night study is is this. But that's that's where when it comes to the farm it's like late night study or whenever you have free time, yeah, I don't just learn your property because you can be more productive, make it more productive. Not only more productive with wildlife, but also hopefully more income. And that's what the calf is for me is, okay, now we have to figure out how to, how to get more of these, make them as healthy as possible, grow as quickly as possible so we can ship them out and, and make some money on them. That's right. That's right. You know, another, another point to kind of hit on – it kind of comes a little bit full circle here. From, and this is from the trip that, that Frank and I were on. Um, th- this this property was doing a lot of great timber management across across the property. They were very active. Um, uh-huh. and, that, and that was twofold. Um, but but they were doing just a lot of a lot of harvesting. Some was hardwoods. Some was thinning out pines. Um, Native pine, shortleaf pine coming uh, in in the middle of some hardwoods, but then they're also clear cutting and then replanting some longleaf establishment, some loblolly, just depending upon soil. So there's yep. just a lot of different stages of regeneration across the place, which is always great to see. Um, but but one of the things that 
a, a discussion that we had while on site was, and this was a, a larger play. So, so typically the 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 units or the timber management units that were being addressed were 50, 100 acres at a time. And so when you have, or, or somewhere maybe 200 acres, but when you have different size tracks like that, if you're managing those on a pretty much strict timber management mindset, at some point you have to intervene and change up the ball game yeah. from just timber management. Timber management is great, and we talk about it all the time. But if if you're only following, if if you're a multi-use property and you're only following the timber management guidelines, again, we disturbance is great. You know, you think about let's just let's just call it a, a, a older hardwood stand. Then you clear cut it. You come back, you burn out the slash, and then you come in and you replant. And then you plant with, let's say you replant with uh, pines. You got another harvest in 15 years, thinning, some herbicide in between all that. Like there's always, it seems like there's always something going on. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm disturbing, I'm disturbing. But at the same time in the South, if you're coming back in with a monoculture of pines, it like devalues the value that you could be receiving from those disturbances. So I, I guess in, in, in wrapping up the thought, if you have bigger tracks that you're managing and, and that's monoculture type management of, of pines and you're only practicing timber management for the procurement of timber, but you have wildlife in your mind and in your goals too, then something has to give in that process too. Maybe you come in and you create, maybe, maybe you don't replant every single acre. Yeah. Maybe you do, you do different types of management. Maybe you incorporate instead of, um, let's just say randomly, you've got a 50 acre hardwood section. It needs to be cut. You cut it. Your plan was to go into um, blah, 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 blah. Maybe, maybe you take three acres or four or five acres and enroll portions of it into a pollinator type planting. Maybe you take others and you just manage it for early successional habitat or, or young forest regeneration because of previously a hardwood stand. And then maybe you still go back and you plant of the 50 acres, you do 35 in a pine plantation and the other acres are just kind of miscellaneous. That type of of intervening kind of breaking up the monotony of straight timber management is really what's needed um, in those areas mm. that are very heavy timber management and very heavy monoculture pine plantations. Yeah. So I, that's, that's one of those. I, I thought about this just, just recently I had this thought where I was trying to break up the three regions of the United States when it comes to um, land management and kind of our, you know, in mm -hmm. trying to simplify, you've got the North, you've got the, the kind of the middle America, and then you've got the South. And I will say, in my opinion, management in the South is the, is the toughest of all. Um, yeah. Management yeah. in the North, 
the climate makes things, and I don't want to say easier, but certain aspects are easier than in other places of the world. Like, it is so much easier for guys in the northern climate to go out, run a quick disc over broadcast in Brassicas and have knee-high knee high Brassica leaves mm-hmm. and go, ooh, mm-hmm. look at me. And a guy down south like, hey, I disc it up, and now I've got six different invasives that are coming in because the growing season is 10 months out of the year. And, and, and the hogs rooted it up. And the hogs got it, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, of course, we're somewhere in the middle where some years is great, other years is terrible. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and then depending on where you're at, you could be in the Ozarks where it's very, very terrible soil in most places and go, oh, this is awful. But then you head over in Kentucky, and you're like, this is God's country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but in the north, you're like, oh, let's cut some trees. Now we have all the deer in the neighborhood or or, or it's just a lot different. And I don't want to say it's easy in the north, but it's easier, in my opinion, than way down in the south. Down in the south is 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 a totally different beast and you better be. I, I, well, I'll say this: pat yourself on the back, boys, because I think that's where that's where men, uh, the boys become men when it comes to land management. And, and, and I think that that thought is is uh, is dead on accurate because to further explain that, um, what we saw, and, and this was kind of a hybrid of a consultation and a property assessment, but in discussing with the property, the landowner, he's like, you know, I've got. I've got a lot of uh, bottom ground open fields and he goes, I just, I know how valuable they can be. Um, and, I, and I just kind of really want to know what, what should be done. And Frank just, just nailed this point in comparison to the old field. We went to the Southern portion of the property and it had been replanted, it had been clear cut and then replanted in a long leaf pine um, long leaves on that site specifically were growing pretty slow. Um, they have been playing about 15 years ago, no harvest yet. They were 20 foot tall, still lots of sunlight, a fantastic understory coming back in underneath of it. They were burning every two to three years on most of the different stands. So very robust understory, thick, plenty of native food. I mean, it was, it was great if, yeah. if you're looking at pine stand, but on that poorer site, the, because of the soils, um, lots of rocky outcroppings and and anyhow frank basically said you know you're asking about the bottomland earlier but in your situation and in a lot of different situations this upland site that you've got planted in long lease he goes this is way easier to manage he goes when we were down in the bottomland, and that's some of the species that were growing there, but because of the productivity of the soils and the length of the growing season, I mean, you're looking at vegetation that, that in one growing season, six to eight foot tall, easy. Yeah. And, and here you're able to go two years, maybe even three years in between a fire. And every single year, there's still valuable things that are in and growing at a level that is very applicable to wildlife. And, and a lot of different types of wildlife. When we saw quail, we saw turkeys, we saw deer, like they had, they had it all um, because of the diversity that was in the place. And then, and then in the greater scheme of things, some of their larger mindsets, the way they managed, it was, it was a functional property, but comparatively speaking between the bottom gland, which everyone's like, man, I'm just drooling over here about the bottom land in the South and in other places, you have to keep up 
with that to make sure it doesn't revert to trees in a really quick situation, whether it's sycamores, box elders, those things grow fast when they get seeded in bottomland wet soils, oh, yeah. rich soils, compared to some upland sites. So you, you've just got to think broadly across across the board. Um, but yeah, you're 100% right in saying the South presents some challenges. And if you're going to be, um, let's say, a hands-off or a laid-back type of um, landowner in the South, things are going to get out of hand and grow fast down there if yeah. you're not careful. Exactly, um, so- yeah. And that's the issue with in the South is, like, there's so many more invasive species, it seems like, and because of the long growing season, they can get out of hand. And sure. uh, yeah. and that's where, you know, down South – Yikes! You, you can get it can get a little scary, and especially when you get into those those riparian areas, those bottom ground areas where every flood can be bringing in new seeds of species oh, we absolutely. haven't had to fight yet. Sand deposits. Um, if you're in rocky uh, gravel beds, <laughs> gravel yeah. gets thrown over the flooding, like you talk about. It, it's it's challenging. It's a challenging site to to know specifically what to do with it because if yeah. you plant it in a short term crop. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the, can you harvest it? Can you plant it in time? If you have a long-term crop, um, like like trees, it's difficult too. But then you're like, do I want trees in my bottom ground? What am I doing here? Yeah. It's just a challenging site to, to deal with. It's valuable, but a challenging site to know yeah. specifically what to do. So there's a lot of things that can be done, I think, to wrap this whole podcast up. There's always something to be done. There's always something to be done in every window and every month presents new opportunities. If yeah. you harvested a buck already, congratulations. You either, our suggestion is either if you need to harvest those, keep harvesting those, but don't forget about the management techniques that you can be doing on the habitat side of things to improve your property on the vegetation side of it opposed to just the herd dynamics but a lot can be done at this time of the year i know mm-hmm. you're taking a full advantage of it as am i and uh, i'm i'm excited to know i'm excited because we're sitting here and i'm talking about the future and we know which direction that your the whistling woodlands is going we know which direction elam ridge is going we're just seeing things and and taking part in the creation of it um and not trying to pass by good times to be able to improve it yeah and that's all we wish for everyone else too enjoying the journey that's for sure yeah i i want to fast forward but i don't want to i don't want to move forward in time i kind of want to like enjoy the process and uh because uh, I'm very confident that that what we're building is unlike things most people have seen, um, mm-hmm. and and so that's what's like finally a a full disclosure. Like this, this is what we're going for. When we talk about it so much, this, and it's not just one site. Like this is a sixty acre unit. Take it in, boys. Smell it. Hear it. See it. Now let's walk out here and touch it because this is what we're going for. Absolutely. And it should be all the senses activated. Yeah. It's not just sight. It's if, and, and I know that sounds silly, people just hearing this podcast, but you've got to be able to get out there and experience what it looks like, 
what it what it what it what it feels like being out in it because when you're in a really good well managed site it feels secure. Oh, it that's... sounds it sounds thriving, and it looks so dang good. Because yeah. guess what it is? It's so easily recognizable when you're in it. Yeah. What I was going to bring up was that that hillside that we talked about, the Savannah Restoration, mm. the West Facing Slope, and how we've thinned it and burned it and thinned it some more and burned it. Now we've been jumping some deer as we're driving the gravel road, and it is like they go 10 yards in and they're like, it's like Field of Dreams where they go yep. into the corn and you're like, they vanished. That's what it's like. Is like, mm-hmm. I can't even see them. And yep. and I don't know where they're going. Are they like going in there and dumping down in a tunnel? Or where are they going? <laughs> and and that's where it's like, man, this is only going to get so much better. The well, deer, the caliber of deer are going to get so much better. We're going to stay on top. It's, it's, it's going with that whole, you want to improve and, and take the, and, and move the ceiling up in the habitat quality, and you want to take the herd density and bring it down to where the 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 the, the ceiling of habitat quality is way higher than the top of the of the deer herd and the deer population to where that's when you can really express some really really nice deer, and uh, you don't have to deal Those... with forest regeneration problems due to overbrowsing, and that's where we're going, and you don't get to see it in a lot of places. That that equation that you just outlined rarely yeah rarely are experienced on recreational properties um but that is the true end end goal and i shouldn't say it's a destination because a destination means you you arrive there but that's the true like sweet spot yeah it's like everybody improves yes and and everybody improves the habitat, but it's like the game Pac-Man when you turn the corner and they're they're right on your tail, and it's like nom 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 right behind you. That's where most people are with their habitat improvement. Like you improve the habitat, but you don't take care of the deer, and they're just right there. Mm-hmm. Just everything you're growing, they just keep chomping it down. And yep. and it's important to stay on top of it. And hopefully, we're going to be able to do that. It's a lot of work, yep. but it's enjoyable, and it gives you another reason to get out. So. Guys, we appreciate you joining us once again this week and each and every week. Yeah, I should have said this at the beginning, but Chad's deer hunt will be on our YouTube channel. So please go to YouTube um, and go to Land and Legacy and then subscribe. um, And then check out Chad's Chad's, uh, deer hunt. We got several other hunts to drop this uh, over the next coming week. So we haven't put anything on there in a while, but it's coming this fall. So please Uh, please head over there and check that out. Guys, we'll catch you next week.